Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're continuing our sermon series in a new reality. What does it mean to live as followers of Jesus? And so in just a minute or two, we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 23 through 33. Uh, one of the words you're going to hear in this passage this morning is the word freedom. And if I had to pick one word to describe uh, our national identity, uh, a word that we love above probably every other word, it would be the word freedom. Uh, you find it in our Constitution. You find it in, in every state's Constitution. All, all 50 states in our nation use that word in uh, their original documents. Let me remind you a little bit of, of what our forebears wrote as they were writing out the Declaration of Independence. You see it on your screen. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Their men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That speaks directly to, to freedom, uh, liberty, uh, that to secure these rights, these things that we should have, uh, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. There's that freedom again. We, we give the government the right to rule. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as uh, to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. That just oozes uh, with the word freedom. Uh, this morning we're going to be considering what it means to be free in Christ Jesus. And so I think we're at an advantage, quite frankly, as American citizens, uh, even though at times we grouse about, you know, politics these days and all of that, I believe that freedom is deeply embedded in our national conscience. Uh, it's something for which we strive. We've, we've certainly got it wrong uh, in many ways in our history of our country, but we continue to seek to right those wrongs, and we continue to seek to have freedom for all. Well, what does that really mean? And what does it mean for us to be free in Christ? And how do we use that freedom within the church of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to consider this morning. So as, as a free people, as far as freedom in the United States, uh, let's turn our attention to a different type of freedom that God speaks of in His Word. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 33, hear the Word of God. Paul quotes the Corinthians, one of their favorite sayings, All things are lawful. Paul says, but not all things are helpful. He quotes him again, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. He would ever sold in the meat market without raising question on the grounds of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, he would ever set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been sacrificed, offered in the sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't even mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty or my freedom be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because that for which I give thanks. 
So whatever you do, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please every uh, please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. I'll give you a moment for silent prayer uh, wherever you find yourself this morning, and then I'll pray for us collectively. Let's pray. Father, we uh, gather together this morning as citizens of a country whose highest value, it seems, is the notion of liberty and freedom. Father, we come to this passage this morning uh, very thankful for and in many respects proud of our, of our freedom, uh, that we have certain inalienable rights that have been listed in our Constitution. And so, Father, we tend to think of freedom as what I have the right to do. Uh, and in some respects, that's good and that's helpful. Uh, in this passage, Paul says, why should my liberty be constricted by another person's opinion? And, and that would be a common thought, Lord, that, that people that live in our society would have. And so it's a common thought that we would have. But, Father, help us to see the beauty of the freedom that we have in Christ but also see the opportunity and the responsibility that it presents to us as well. Father, our, our old nature, our old reality says that we should be selfish. We should get what we want for ourselves, and we should gratify our desires above uh, the desires or the needs of others. And the new reality we find ourselves in Christ says that our freedom is used to glorify God and to care for others. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. Pray that we would come and sit at your feet, and that we would listen to your word. Uh, Father, I pray for my own heart, uh, for my words, for my thoughts this morning, they would glorify you, that they would be used to build up your people. Father, that you would forgive my sin, that would hamper uh, that effort and those words. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that above all, you would be glorified. We pray in your name. Amen. Our sermon in a sentence this morning uh, seeks to encapsulate everything that we're going to see in this passage. Uh, if my chief aim is God's glory, my thoughts and actions will demonstrate care for others, uh, uh, will demonstrate care for others over the exercise of my rights and freedoms. Let me say that one more time and you're going to read it on the screen. If my chief aim is God's glory, and my thoughts and actions will demonstrate care for others over the exercise of my rights and freedoms. In other words, if God's glory is central to my life, then my demand for my freedom and my demand for my rights takes a different shape. Uh, and in the new reality, it, it is used uh, in a different way to actually care for and nurture others. Our new reality says that we have freedom in Christ. Paul talks about liberty here. And if you've been studying and reading through 1 Corinthians, you've seen that Paul talks about the freedom that we have in Christ as he does in almost every letter 
that he writes in the New Testament. Uh, in verses 25 and 26 in this passage, Paul says, if you go to somebody's house and they offer you something, enjoy it. If you're in the market and you see some meat, you want to buy it, have at it. He's talking in terms of freedom. Uh, and for us, we would uh, not be thinking about meat sacrifice to idols, is what Paul's topic here, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but we would think about things uh, that we're free to do, but are they really helpful for other folks? That's kind of how we're going to look at that. So for example, you say, well, I'm going to sit down with my dinner and have a very, you know, have a, have a nice glass of wine, or I've just finished mowing the lawn, I'm going to have a nice cold beer, and you're certainly free to do that. The Bible never calls us to be teetotalers and never have a sip of alcohol, but if that freedom is hurtful to others, would I reconsider that option? So that's what Paul is after in this passage this morning. And so the question really is, you know, when things that are kind of morally neutral and don't necessarily have an absolute right or wrong, you know, Paul says very clearly, the Bible says very clearly, don't get drunk uh, on wine. Don't, don't lose control of your faculties because you've had too much to drink. That's a moral, very clear that that's wrong. But in these areas in our lives uh, that are, are morally neutral, how do I exercise my freedom? That's what we want to consider this morning. Uh, four uh, observations in this text on our freedom. The first is we have freedom to build. If you look at verse 23, Paul again quotes this wonderful uh, Corinthian motto. And we talked about this last Sunday. The Corinthians, uh, one of the reasons I've said a couple of times I love studying the books of First and Second Corinthians because they look a lot like 21st century American Christians. They love their freedom. They love Jesus. They're passionate about following him. But sometimes the line got blurred between what it meant to follow Jesus and what it meant to uh, exercise uh, a sense of responsibility for the other folks around me. And so he quotes them, all things are lawful. But then he says, but not all things are helpful. And then he quotes them again, all things are lawful, or, or I, everything's permissible, I can do whatever I want. But then he says, but not all things build up. And I've, and I've inserted a, a slightly different word there because I think it's a, a word that's a little, uh, it, it stays true to the text, but it's a little more uh, normal to us. Uh, not everything is constructive. Not everything ultimately builds up. Uh, if you've been around Green Tree Community Church, or you've looked at our website, or you've been here a while, you know that our mission says that we want to, uh, we've been loved by Jesus and we want to uh, express our love back to Jesus in joyful obedience by, and then there are three things, and the first one of those is growing disciples. We want to grow disciples, renew communities, and plant churches. And so our mission is to be constructive. Our mission is to build up. And so that's true of us as a church. Paul says it ought also be true of my individual thinking as a follower of Jesus. As I look at the freedom that I have to exercise, do I use that freedom to build up, to help others grow, to have a positive impact on the growth of the kingdom? Is the growth of others my priority? God says very clearly in his word all throughout that we ought to care well for the people around us. In the Old Testament law, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, uh, it says this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus in, in, in Matthew's gospel is asked, what's the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when Paul says in verse 24, uh, verse 23, it, you know, ask the question, is it constructive? Why do we do that? Well, in verse 24, he, he explains it. He says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So does my freedom lead to good things for my neighbor? That would be one way to, to suggest it. Does my freedom help others grow in their faith in Jesus Christ? How is my freedom helping them? So you might say, you know what, I'm, I'm free to, to you know, go to the movies and enjoy a movie and have fun with it. And that's true, assuming it's, it's, a, it's a movie that isn't inappropriate. Uh, but do you maybe say to some friends, hey, let's, let's go out for coffee afterwards and let's talk about the message uh, in that movie. Perhaps you have some young Christian friends and you say, you know, let's go look at the worldview that they present in that movie and let's line that up to Scripture and let's see how that uh, plays out for us. Am, am I willing to take this freedom that I have and invest it in others and help them build up in their faith? I have a freedom to build. Secondly, we also have a freedom to enjoy. Look at verses 24 and 20, or excuse me, 25 uh, and 26. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul is, is saying there's a, there's a question in the Christian community about this food that's been sacrificed to idols. And if it's been sacrificed to an idol, does it defile it? And therefore, no good Christian would eat that meat. So think of whatever phrase you would use. No good Christian would X. And that's the question here. And Paul says, eating meat is pretty morally neutral. So I have some images up there. So you've got a family gathering, and folks are sitting around and having a great time. I'm sorry, stay on that, on that first slide. And they're just enjoying it. There's, there's another couple there that's taking a walk through the forest. There, there's nothing right or wrong about a walk through a forest. There's a having a you know nice glass of wine with meal or winning a Stanley Cup if your hockey team happens to win a Stanley Cup. All of those things are, are morally neutral. They're, they're there for us to enjoy. So we have freedom to enjoy these, these good gifts. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and, and he gave them to us. Now, this is also... Uh, something of creation language. When Paul says, you know, reminds him that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, he's taking us back to Genesis. And if you, I'm not going to take time right now, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and you notice God's relationship with man, he's continuing to put him in good places. He's continuing to give him freedom. And, and, and freedom in wonderful experiences. It says that God made this amazing garden that we now know the, is called the Garden of Eden. And what does he do with man? He takes him and he puts him in the very best spot in the whole world. And then he says to him later on in chapter 2, this is yours, fix it up, work with it. Any tree in the garden, any fruit that, that it produces, you can eat it, except for that one tree. Don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it'll kill you. Stay away from that. But everything else is yours. Do Dig to your heart's content. Grow to your heart's content. And then later on, God looks at the situation and says, you know, it's not good for man to be by himself. He, he needs a friend. He needs a partner. Uh, he needs someone to, to come alongside him. 
and to, uh, and to help him uh, grow into the person that I want him to be. And so God creates this partnership between men and women. Uh, and and it's, it says that, that Adam looks at Eve and he's like, this is the greatest thing in the history of the world. So we have this freedom to enjoy. I, I sometimes get a little nervous when Christians walk around frowning all the time and talk about all the things we ought not do instead of appreciating the fact that God's given us great freedom. But we don't have freedom to add to the gospel of Jesus. So we're, it's not okay to say, you know, I, Jesus is, is the Savior, but also I ought not eat a certain kind of meat. Now, to put it in our context today, it might be, you know, the gospel and Jesus is right, but don't you dare play any sports on Sunday. Or, or the gospel of Jesus saves us, but, you know, don't you drive an expensive car because that, that's not right. Uh, there's a lot of different things you could fill in the blank there that add to the gospel. And they're no gospel at all. In fact, they actually try to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to enjoy the freedom that God has given us. So in verse 31, we discover that whatever we do, uh, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all the glory of God. We discover that we actually have freedom to glorify God. We didn't have that freedom in the old reality. We weren't able to glorify God because we were God's enemies. Paul says that very clear in another letter that he wrote, the letter he wrote to the Romans. He said, we're enemies of God. Uh, we, while we were sinners, uh, we, were, we were not in favor with God. We were not friendly towards God. We, we hated God. Uh, chapter 1 of Romans makes that very clear. And yet God in his grace and his mercy has made us alive in Christ. So now we can enjoy the freedom to glorify him. And I love uh, the, the Scottish uh, athlete and missionary, Eric Little, who was one of the best athletes uh, that came out of Scotland in the early 20th century who ended up going and being a missionary uh, in China. Eric Little said this, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he said that in response to his sister fussing at him about not being serious enough about getting to, to China quickly and about being distracted by the Olympics. And Little said, I'm, I'm going to go run first, and then I'm going to go and be a missionary. And he did that. But his point to his sister was, God's given us stuff to enjoy. Let's take the opportunity. Let's have that freedom to enjoy the things that God has give, given us. But thirdly, not only do we have a freedom to build others up, not only ought we enjoy the freedom that God has given us, but thirdly, there is a responsibility that comes with this freedom. Now look at verses 28 and 29. So Paul says you go to somebody's house and you're sitting down and you're having a dinner and they offer you some, some uh, good dinner, just have it. Don't worry about it. It's just fine because it all belongs to the Lord. But then says Paul says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Now they're saying that not like, hey, did you know this? They're saying this as voicing a concern. Paul, did you know that this food was, this meat was offered in a sacrifice? Then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of, of their conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. What Paul is saying is as, as Christians, the new reality and the freedom in which we find ourselves, we have the responsibility to care for the folks around us, to, to care for them in general. 
whatever the circumstance may dictate at that particular moment. He picks something that's very common to the Corinthians and actually very common to us, going to a friend's house for dinner. And, and Paul stipulates in this that you're free to enjoy this, but if your freedom hurts another person or potentially hurts another person, then you need to take care of them first and foremost above your freedom. So verse 24, Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This is the application of that thought, that, that we will help others, that we will care about others. And the ones we're supposed to look out for are who, right? Give no offense, Paul says in verse 32, to Jews or Greeks or to, and I've got this part bolded, the church of God. In other words, Paul says, look out for your fellow Christians, Look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And in particular, in this setting, look out for those younger disciples. Look out for those who maybe aren't as far along in their faith and they, and they haven't come to understand uh, some of the nuances of the Christian faith. So don't just trample all over them. Make them more important than yourself. Look out for them. Take, seek their good. And, and in this case, just rein your freedom in in order to care well for them. But he also says that you ought to also look out for the people that don't yet know Jesus. So he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks. Now, there are and were, or see, there were and there are Jewish Christians, and there were and there are Greek Christians. But in this particular sense, he's talking about people that don't yet know Jesus. And he's saying, you should restrict your freedom, even for those that don't know Christ, because you want to make sure that your life points them to Christ. So there's a responsibility that comes with our freedom. It's not just a laissez-faire, do whatever I want to. It's a responsibility that I look out for those around me, that I put their needs ahead of mine. That's the way I can truly exercise the freedom that I have in Christ. And we cannot overstate the importance of this for the church. If a church is filled with people who outdo each other by serving each other, the love of Christ demonstrated in that way, the compassion of Christ, the freedom that we have in Jesus, celebrate in a way where we literally outdo each other and putting others' needs ahead of our own, will be a church that flourishes. It'll be a church that sees people come to Christ on a regular basis. It'll be a church of prayer. It will be a church of generosity. It will be a church of compassion because we'll get it. We'll understand the freedom that we have in Christ. But you and I both know that churches aren't perfect places. You and I both know that churches are filled with people that are saved, but we're still sinners. And we can use our freedom to hurt one another. And we can use our freedom just to be selfish and say, I want it my way. You may be familiar with the 18th century uh, British historian Edward Gibbon. Edward Gibbon wrote a six-volume uh, series of works called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And Gibbon goes down a few side roads, and one of the side roads he goes down in his works is he talks about the Athenians. He talks about Athens, the, the Greeks, and he talks about their downfall as well. And I just have a, a short paragraph uh, out of this. Uh, it says, in the end, more than freedom, they wanted security. They wanted a comfortable life, and they lost it all. Security, comfort, and freedom. 
when the Athenians finally wanted not to give to society, but for society to give to them, when the freedom they wished for most was freedom from responsibility, then Athens ceased to be free, and it was never free again. You could apply that maybe to a cultural lesson in our country today, but I'm concerned primarily with the church of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned primarily this morning with uh, us as a family of believers. And I think we ought to look very carefully at that quote. Will it be said 50 years from now, 80 years from now, 10 years from now, Green Tree ceased to exist because the people of Green Tree wanted their comfort and wanted to be taken care of more than they took seriously the responsibility that the freedom in Christ has given them. Brothers and sisters, that's a very real possibility if we lose sight of God's structure of our freedom and we ignore the responsibility that our freedom in Christ brings. But the good news is that there's also an opportunity for freedom. So just as there is a caution that we take our responsibility seriously, there's also an opportunity, verses 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. And then Paul personalizes it. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. What is the opportunity that this freedom in Christ presents us? It's the opportunity to to be agents by which God brings salvation to the world. We can be used by God. We don't save people. I I don't preach a sermon and save people. People are saved by hearing the word of God and by the spirit of God working in their life and creating within them a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of what he did on the cross for them. But we can be used by God to share that message of salvation. And what we want to make sure is when we're sharing that message of salvation, that our life actually reflects that gospel, that that our embrace of the freedom that Christ has given us is subservient to making sure that our lives are gracious and kind, that 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 our life message, excuse me, that our life matches our message. I got too many M's in there, one right after the other. That the kindness of our hearts, the generosity that the gospel creates, the fact that we're a merciful and a compassionate people, welcoming and genuinely Christ-like in the way we live, endorses the message, the words of the gospel. The opportunity that freedom in Christ presents you and me this morning is the freedom to share that gospel with others and that they could listen to our words and they could look at our lives. And while they're not going to see perfection, they are going to see that we fall short and that's part of our message as well. But they also see a new reality in our lives. They see a heart that longs for God's glory and they see a heart that that desires the salvation of others. They see servants that are willing to restrict their freedom and their rights in order to care well for others so that people would see the glorious message of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the application this morning, folks. It's really just one question. What is most important to me? My rights, 
the practice of my freedom, or the use of my freedom in Christ to glorify God and care for others. If there's an application this morning, and there is, it's this. Wrestle with that question. My guess is if you're like me, you're going to find a little bit of both. You're going to find moments where you're like, yeah, I, I see where I set aside my freedom in order that I could care for another person well. I knew I could you know, do X, Y, or Z, but I, but I didn't do that because I just thought the, this pathway would be better. I, I held back, not because that was wrong, but because I knew it might confuse this person and I, and I love them well, and I think I help point them to Christ. And there will be other moments where we see just sheer unmitigated selfishness and where we fail to represent the gospel of Jesus. And our prayer can then be, Lord, transform me. Lord, change me so that those around me see the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just hear it. Uh, I want to share with you a little bit of one of our founding fathers this morning who did not profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He was very outspoken that he, he was not a Christian in the traditional sense of the word, but he had a friend who was a Christian. He actually had a friend who was a pastor, which is kind of weird, you know, that, to, to not really believe in, in anything of faith, but have uh, a, a friend who's a pastor. But that speaks well of the pastor, because what that says of the pastor is he was using his freedom to care for someone else. So I'm going to read you some words, and this is going back to the 1700s, so it's going to sound a little funky, uh, but I'm going to read you some words that Benjamin Franklin wrote about a preacher named George Whitfield. And I want you to hear these words in the context of this sermon, and, and does life match up with message? Are we using our freedom to move the gospel forward? Franklin says this, in 1739, arrived from us from England, the Reverend Mr. Whitfield who had made himself remarkable there as an in, in internet, inter, and not internet, uh, itinerant preacher that he would move around preaching town to town. He was at first permitted to preach among some of our churches, but the clergy took a dislike to him and soon refused him their pulpits. He was obligated to preach in the fields. The multitudes of all the sects and denominations that attended his sermon, sermons were enormous, and it was a matter of speculation to me uh, who was one of that number to observe the extraordinary influence of his oratory on his hearers, how much they admired and respected him, notwithstanding his common abuse of them, by assuring them that they were naturally half beasts and half devils. He's, Franklin may not know there, but he's talking about Whitfield telling us we, we are sinners and we are in rebellion against God and, and we are under God's wrath. He was, he was pointing the picture of the true condition of fallen humanity. Franklin goes on to say, it was wonderful to see the change soon made in the behavior of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. It seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. So, uh, Franklin's first interaction with Whitfield is one that would go and listen to him speak, but it was really as an observer, and he noticed that Whitfield's message began to change people, and he saw that change being a positive thing. Now he's going to personalize it. I happened soon after to attend one of his sermons. Uh, let me back up a second. Uh, Whitfield is going to start an orphanage or orphanages in the colony of Georgia. And he's in Massachusetts, and he's in New England, and now he's in Philadelphia, and he's asking people to contribute to these orphanages, to give money to them. 
Franklin had a disagreement with Whitfield. He said, you should bring the kids up here. It would be cheaper. Whitfield says, no, I'm going to build the orphanages down there. And so Franklin said, well, if you do it that way, I disagree with you, and I'm not going to give you a penny. So that's, that's the background of this next statement. I happened soon after to attend one of his sermons, in the course of which I perceived he intended to finish with a collection. And I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistoles, Spanish coins, in gold. As he proceeded, I began to soften and concluded to give him the coppers. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that and determined me to give, I determined that I would give my silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, gold and all. Franklin knew Whitfield. He spent time with Whitfield. And so Whitfield's words spoke volumes to Franklin, who ultimately never put his faith, as far as we know, in Christ. But there was something about Whitfield's life that changed him. And one last paragraph, and we'll be done. He says he's talking about when he saw Whitfield later in life. The following instance will show something of the terms on which we stood. Upon one of his arrivals from England at Boston, he wrote that he should come to Philadelphia soon, but he did not know where he could lodge. As he understood, his old kind host, Mr. Bresnett, was removed to Germantown. My answer was, you know my house. If you can make a shift with its scanty accommodations, you will be most heartily welcome. He replied that if I made that kind offer for Christ's sake, I should not miss a reward. I returned, don't let me be mistaken. It was not for Christ's sake, but for your sake. Now, there's something about that that's somewhat heartbreaking. That Franklin, one of the greatest minds in our country, uh, one of our wonderful founding fathers, couldn't quite get far enough to see what Christ had done to change George Whitfield and make him the man he was. But the admiration with which Franklin speaks about Whitfield speaks directly to Whitfield's understanding and application of this passage. May it be said that the people in our generation, in our day, whether they come to Christ for salvation or not, and, and we pray for that and we work diligently for that, but whatever the case may be, believer and unbeliever, when they interact with the people of Green Tree Community Church, see a people of freedom in Christ, <coughs> excuse me, but also see a people who use that freedom for God's glory, for the cause of the gospel. Will you pray with me? I'm going to take a sip of water before I pray. Father, we thank you. You have given us freedom in Christ. And you and you've given us so many things in this world to be free to enjoy. But Father, you've also reminded us that Jesus set aside his freedom to stay in heaven and, and to come to earth and to give himself for us. He sacrificed so that we who were enslaved to sin could be set free. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us a, a biblical and a godly understanding of the freedom that we enjoy in Christ, that we're free to actually help build the kingdom, that we're free to enjoy all that God has given us. But with that freedom comes responsibility, ultimately the opportunity of which is to live in a way and speak in a way that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ that you will use to draw people into your kingdom. 
Father, may that freedom rule and reign at Green Tree Community Church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.